Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and we're going to have a little bit of a different session today. We're going to talk about something called Christian education. And we're going to go through a list of topics about Christian education. And these will be, first of all, what is Christian education? Secondly, what does the Bible have to say about education? Third, the first step in teaching any class. What should we do before we start teaching? Then, something I'll call educating for success. And we'll end with a challenge to teachers, the church, and all parents. Well, this is a different type of topic here, Christian education, but it is a very important topic. And I know a lot of you out there have taught in Sunday schools, you've taught in Christian schools, many of you may have even taught in public schools, taught in universities, and many, many other situations. Now, I've been blessed to have a good background in education. Doesn't mean I know all things, but I've had a vast background in the educational field. Number one, I do have an advanced degree in education. I have taught many different Sunday school classes. I've taught in public schools, junior high and high school. I've taught at the undergraduate level, and I've taught at the graduate level all the way up to the doctorate level. I was an instructor for time in the United States Marine Corps, and that's a different kind of teaching. I ran U.S. Sprint's worldwide technical training, ran Microsoft's worldwide software engineer training. I've also written many educational materials, such as on computers, educational materials. I've written educational materials on the Bible, creation, and apologetics. So I do have some background in education that allows me to do this topic today. Matter of fact, what it basically means all these years in education is I've learned a lot of things that don't work, but I have learned some things that really do work and can work for any teacher. So Christian education. Let's start with part one. What is Christian education? First of all, we need to make sure we know there's a difference between secular education and Christian education. See, in secular education, we're concerned with the human being, the person themselves. Today, it's characterized by what we call humanism. That is the idea that man is the measure of all things. There are no gods, no supernatural forces. They've basically been kicked out of the public education system. So humans, people, that's what secular education is all about. Well, Christian education deals with more than that. See, it deals with both the person and the spiritual side of ourselves. It deals with our relationship to our Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ, that relationship. So that's one of the differences between secular and Christian education. So what would be a good description or definition of Christian education? Well, I've read many, many on the internet. I've read many books on Christian education. And let me summarize what I believe is a good description or definition of Christian education. First of all, it can be divided into three different areas. Knowledge, application, and growth. These three areas are not mutually exclusive. They do overlap and can occur at the same time in the learning process. Now, Christian education. We'll start with a premise, then we'll go into our three instructional areas, and we will finish with what we call the desired result. So here is our description or definition, and it starts with the premise. The goal of Christian education is to glorify God. 
So that's our goal. That's our premise. Now let's go into our three areas. Area number one is called knowledge. And we will back this up from Scripture. We are to develop a biblical worldview. That is part of Christian education. Develop a biblical worldview. And we see this in Matthew 22, verse 37, which gives us a good description of a biblical worldview. And it states, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, Christian education, biblical worldview, all of us has to be given over to God. Our heart, soul, and mind. And also part of this biblical worldview, we can use Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it states, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, part of a biblical worldview is our mind has to be given over to God, not the world. So that's number one of knowledge. And also part of knowledge is Scripture must be our authority in all matters. That's part of the knowledge area of Christian education. Scripture must be our authority. And we see this in John 17, 17, where it says, Your word is truth. In other words, God told us His word is truth. Therefore, it supersedes any other knowledge out there. We also see this, Scripture being our authority, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it states, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what we mean by Scripture must be our authority, knowledge. A third part of knowledge is we need to understand the principles of discernment. That's part of our knowledge and growing as a Christian. And we see this in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 9, and it states, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. A third part of our knowledge in Christian education is understanding apologetics. We see this in 1 Peter 3.15 where it states, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. We also see this again in Jude 3 where it states, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, 1 Peter 3.15, we're to have a ready answer always. We're to have a defense for what we believe. So we need to understand that principle. Jude 3 tells us we are to contend for the faith. We need to understand what that word contends means. And then we need to understand the gospel, including all four components of the gospel, which includes the book of Genesis, the creation account. Because you see, the foundation for the gospel starts in the book of Genesis, and we need to understand that if we're going to be better evangelists. So that's area number one, knowledge. So we have our premise and we have knowledge. Now let's go to area number two, and that's called application. And we will start with the Great Commission. This is where we go out and we do something. Rather than just sitting in a classroom absorbing information, 
The application is the part where we're going to do something. And we see that in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission, where it states, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Secondly, we are also told to do the work of an evangelist. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, where it states, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Next, as part of our application, we see we are to be able to present and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17, where it states, Knowing that I am appointed, for the defense of the gospel. Paul made that statement and it applies to us also. Next, as part of our application, we're to have discernment. Now we're not to just sit back and learn about it. Now we are to apply that discernment. And we see that in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where it states, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So we should use the Bible as our authority and search the scriptures to make sure what we're told is really true. We also see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, where it states, Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Next, we're told we have to practice apologetics. Once again, in first part, knowledge, we're to learn about apologetics. Now in the application, we are to practice apologetics. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, where it states, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And finally, part of the application, we are to be doers of the word. James 1, verse 22, where it states, Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Now, the third area is called growth. We've had knowledge, we've had application, now we have growth. Continue to become skilled in the knowledge of God's word. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, where it states, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we also see this continued growth in 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says we should show ourselves approved, and it states, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, 
a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent means we are to study to show ourselves approved. And then finally, we are to continue to press forward to the goal that we have. And we see this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where it states, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This knowledge, application, and growth will lead us to the desired result. And that result is character transformation to be more Christ-like. So we have our description or definition of education. We start with our premise, which is to glorify God. We have our three areas, knowledge, application, and continued growth, and the result is to become more Christ-like. So that's part one. Let's go to part two. What does the Bible have to say about education? Does the Bible instruct us anywhere about how we are to teach or educate? Now I want to talk about three areas here. Number one, job description. What is our job description as a teacher? How we should define our success as a teacher, that's part two. And number three, we should teach the Bible as real history. So let's start with the job description of every Christian educator. It is given in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, and it states, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now there are some key words there in that second part of that scripture. Equipping is one of them, saints is the second, and work of the ministry. Therefore, out of those verses in Ephesians, there are three principles for Christians, which gives us our job description. Number one, the primary purpose of Christian teachers is to equip. Number two, our primary audience are the saints, or Christians, not the non-believers. Number three, the primary result of equipping is to prepare Christians for doing the work of the ministry and edifying the body of Christ. That is our job description as Christians, as Christian teachers, to put this into the minds of the next generation. Now, does this mean non-Christians can't attend Christian schools? Well, no. However, we should never water down or compromise our teaching so as we don't offend the non-believer in the class. And also, as a teacher, we should be equipped to answer the non-believer's questions and challenges that they might have. But remember, our primary audience as teachers are Christians, not the non-believer. See, we're to train up this generation so that they're so well trained with the knowledge, the application, and the continued growth skills so that they can go out and be the evangelists and teachers of the next generation. It is called discipleship. Now, Howard Hendricks, in his book, Mastering Teaching, puts it this way. Secular education seeks to make better, more effective, more successful, more intelligent people. The Christian educator aspires to nothing less than transformation of a believer into the image of Christ. Now, the Bible also gives us information 
for how to determine our success as a Christian educator. And we read this starting in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, where it states, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe. Key word there is teach. The root word or the Hebrew word for teach is lamad. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, and we read this. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. Key word there is learn. Did you know the root word or the Hebrew word for learn is lamad? In other words, the Hebrew word for teach and learn is the same. In other words, teaching means causing to learn. So we have our equation, teaching equals learning. What does this have to do with our success as a teacher? Just this. If our students have not learned, then we have not taught. That is very biblical right there. Teach and learn is the same word. If, we haven't, if our students haven't learned, then we have not taught. Now, I know there are some exceptions out there. There are students who may want to defy you at every corner there. Or there may be students that have a situation that greatly impedes their learning ability or learning process. However, the ultimate test of teaching is not what you do as a teacher, but what your students can do with all the information. That is the ultimate test, whether we're successful or not. Now, one of the things that often hinders our teaching is called this, the cram it, flush it approach to teaching. You see, sometimes we can be driven by wanting to complete a chapter or section in a book by a specific time. In other words, we start our thinking like this. I've got to finish this chapter. I've got to finish it by next week or we're going to get very far behind. So we just pour it on. Now, I've witnessed this in many school systems. Let me give you a couple examples. I've been to many, many Christian schools. I've taught and lectured in many Christian schools around this country. And one of the things I find is this. Not all time, but I find this predominantly. The teacher can't wait for me to come into the Bible classroom to challenge their Bible students because they've just taught this section on creation. Can't wait to show me all the knowledge. And when I go in there, I start asking some basic questions. And what I predominantly find out is the students don't know how to answer the challenges. You see, all they've done is equip themselves to pass a test. It's called the cram it and flush it approach to education. Cram it in just long enough so I can get the right answer on the test. And after that, we flush the information down. We've never learned how to really apply it to our lives. You see, we must remember that teaching means causing to learn. Causing people to learn. We should test the effectiveness of our teaching, not by what we do, but by what the student does as a result of what we do. For example, completion of a 13-week Sunday school class. We might ask somebody in the class, what did you learn in this course? Responses I commonly get include this. Oh, the teacher was great. 
The teacher was very knowledgeable. The material was very interesting. But the real question is this. What can you do with the, all the information that was presented in those 13 weeks? And what I get again, oh, it was an interesting class. The teacher was very funny, had a lot of jokes. We had a great time. We learned to socialize with many people. But the question again is, what can you do with all the information that was presented? See, if you can't do anything with it, why did you spend 13 weeks in there? What happened to your Christian education part there? See, did Jesus say this to his followers? Look, man, I'm going to be with you just three years, so get this stuff down now. No, he didn't say that. This is what Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. See, it's not a matter of how much we can teach, but it's a matter of what we teach. Do they fully understand it, and can they apply it? We get into this world's way of doing education by trying to always complete a book, always complete a chapter on by a specific time. When the real education is, what can they do with the information? Can they really use it in their evangelism? Can they really use it in their Christian walk? You see, it's more than passing a test. Now, third component of the Bible in education is that we should teach the Bible as real history and not just a bunch of stories. For example, creation. God really did create in six literal days. Corruption. Adam and Eve were real people, and they really did rebel in sin. Catastrophe. There really was a worldwide flood. And the ark was not a houseboat with giraffes' heads sticking out. It was a large vessel about 450 feet long. Confusion. There really was a Tower of Babel that answers two very important questions. The origin of languages and there's only one race and why different nations look differently. Answers the question about Christ. God really did send His only begotten Son down to this planet. Cross. Jesus Christ really did die on that cross. And he really did raise from the dead on the third day. And consummation. Jesus really will return. And he will restore everything back to perfection. Back to the very good. You see, these are referred to as the seven seas of history. Not the seven suggestions or spiritual teachings. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, consummation. See, the Bible is a real history textbook. It does prevent, ac present accurate history of the universe. People really did live to be 900 years old. Jonah really did survive in the belly of a big fish for three days. Samson really did pull down the temple. And Jesus really did walk on water. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. The Bible should be taught as a real history book. Now let's go to part three, the first step in teaching a class. Now this first step applies to all Christian educators, whether, they, whether you're teaching in a Christian school, a Sunday school, or a home school. As the teacher, we must remember we are responsible to teach in such a manner that students both learn and employ their knowledge. Remember the three components, knowledge, application, and growth. And to help our effectiveness as a teacher, before we start any class, whether it's a math class, a Bible class, a computer class, or a language class, 
we must start by asking this most important question. What do you want your students to do or perform at the completion of this course? If you have a as a teacher do not know the answer to this question, then most likely your students have no idea of what they're supposed to do or where they're going in this course. You see, before we begin any course, we must answer that ask that important question and have an answer for it. What do you want your students to be able to do or perform when you complete this course? This is also referred to as our terminal or ending objective. It is what we want as the teacher as the final outcome for what we're doing in there. We're setting standards or a direction we're going to go with this course. See, we are responsible as the teacher for doing that. For example, in Sunday school class on the Genesis flood, you might have as your terminal objective, state why the Genesis flood is an important issue for understanding the gospel. So you're teaching a 13-week section, or maybe just a four-week session on the Genesis flood. This could be your terminal objective. State why the Genesis flood is an important issue for understanding the gospel. Now we have a course called our Basic Creation Training Course. And in there we have a course goal and we have what's called the Big Five. They're like our terminal objectives. Now the course goal gives students a general idea of what it is we want. And our course, course goal in our Basic Creation Training class is this to prepare Christians to be able to speak about and defend the biblical account of creation with confidence and be better equipped to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the Big Five established what we call the specifics for how we're going to achieve that goal. And our Big Five in that course are this. State three biblical evidences supporting the days of creation were literal days. Two. State two problems with adding millions of years into the Bible. Third, state why the Genesis flood is an important issue. Four, state one power question. And five, state the four components of the gospel. So we have our course goal, which is general in nature, but then we have our big five, which are specific. This is one I wanted to be able to walk away with, being able to do and perform. And now let's go to part four educating for success. When we teach a class, we should aim for nothing less than success. Now, we should not tolerate failure. We have to stop being like the world and make Christian education the best form of education there is. Now, in every class I teach, I go by a, what I call the 80% goal. In other words, I want 80% or better of my students getting A's in my class. And I have a tendency to achieve this in every class, whether it's a math class, a computer class, or a Bible class. Now, I'm not saying I'm giving away everything. My tests are very difficult. They're closed book and closed note. But we work together as a team to achieve nothing less than success. Now, a common problem that happens in education that hinders this success is called grading on a curve. You see, if we have to grade on a curve, that means the students don't know it well enough. And it also means maybe we didn't do our job as a teacher, so we need to look at ourselves first if we have to grade on a curve. Maybe we didn't understand the proper objectives, or maybe we just didn't teach it well enough for the students to know it. 
as Christian educators, we want our students to succeed. We want them to know the information so well that they can go out there and be better evangelists, be able to be better witnesses, be able to bring down strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and be confident in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want in Christian education. We need to stop being like the world, just passing a test, the cram it, flush it approach to education. We need to have better standards in all our education. In other words, Christian education must be the highest form of education there is on this planet. And now, let's go to part five, the last part. And this is a challenge to all teachers, to the church, and to parents. You see, today, Christian education is much too passive. And folks, that is unacceptable. Because Christ Christianity is the most revolutionary force on this planet. It should never be boring. Before you walk into a class, Sunday school or Christian school, you better check to make sure you have good communication skills, that you can make this topic exciting and you can make it come alive. If you don't have those skills, I urge you to practice them because this is the most exciting thing you'll ever teach in your life. It is called God's Word. It should never be watered down so that we don't offend people. It should never be compromised with the world or parts ignored because they are too controversial. You see, it comes down to this. How can we have this next generation equipped without proper training to answer the challenges? Better yet, how can we have good teachers unless they too hold to biblical authority and are trained to communicate effectively and answer challenges? You see, there's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of competition to our teaching God's Word that are training our students to live like the world rather than according to God's Word. Let me give you some example. Evolution is taught as a fact in most all our public schools, including our universities. In our universities, they are totally intolerant towards Christianity, and students are subject to ridicule if they believe in creation. There are political leaders today who openly denounce Christianity and make the Bible and take the Bible out of context. Many pastors in this country have openly endorsed evolution and teach it from the pulpit. Organizations today allegedly proclaiming to be Christian are deceiving many. Organizations like BioLogos or Reasons to Believe. There are popular TV figures out there today that openly denounce the Bible, such as Pat Robertson and Bill O'Reilly. Youth rallies that focus on nothing more than emotions, loud music, and messages message that warm the student's heart, but yet teach heresy. Christianity is slowly being removed from public view. The Ten Commandments, crosses, Christmas. A new morality is challenging our students. Abortion, gay rights, tolerance, and moral relativism. The entertainment industry is conditioning our public to ignore and reject God's word with such shows as Bad Girls Club, Cougar Town, The Exes, Sex in the City, Friends, Desperate Housewives, Happily Divorced, Family Guy, The Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, Supernatural, and many others, conditioning our next generation to abandon God's Word. Video games promote violence and anti-Bible themes. There's peer pressure to be like everyone else. And then again, there's apathy 
in the church by many professing Christians. And the word apathy means uncaring. I say, let's meet these challenges head on by out-educating the world. Abraham Lincoln is credited with making this statement. The philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Let's make sure this next generation is well prepared to meet these challenges of the world by being trained to be able to put into action, not just knowledge, but put into action what they have learned. Thank you, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Music